Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Evangelism is the lifeblood of the church. Jesus was the great first evangelist. He delivered the message. Evangelism is delivering the good message. However, evangelism is not just a spiritual or a religious word. It is a word that can be used in any context in which there is good news to be delivered. And you become an evangelist for that news when you deliver it. So evangelism is a broader concept than merely preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, that's how we understand it the most, obviously. I want you to think with me today about the importance of evangelism. This morning, we're going to notice, as we will this evening, the text of John chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and be turning to that text, we're going to consider this idea. The idea this morning is that evangelism means you are leading them to the water. And tonight I want to discuss the fact that if they are thirsty, they will drink. You know the famous phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. That's the concept in some way for this idea today concerning evangelism. The life blood of the church. It is the lifeblood of the church because it naturally flows from God's people, the church, to those who don't have it. It is the lifeblood. Number two, it is through that evangelistic idea that the church continues to grow, adding more blood to the family of God. The great first evangelists of any person should be that child's parents. You and I, as parents, must be evangelists, teaching our children about God. We, as grandparents, teach our children, our grandchildren, about God. It is the lifeblood of the church. Now we consider John chapter 4. And I want you to notice a, a few things that Jesus did as he was leading this woman to the water. And I want you to notice how if we can apply the same concepts that Jesus did with this woman, we often will have the same results. But let me first remind us of an important point. I 
gave this to my class this morning, Bible authority. We're discussing this idea continually. The goal of evangelism is not the product of obedience. The goal of evangelism is the action of teaching. The goal of an evangelistic person is to teach, to preach, to spread the good word. That's the goal. The obedience of someone to that message, the acceptance by someone of that message is the product, not the goal. Now certainly we want all to be saved. But Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that I planted, he said, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God did. So God's involvement specifically is in the product part. Mine is in the evangelistic part. How did Jesus evangelize? How did he lead this woman to the point that she eventually bought the product? I want to begin with his first thing. Verse 7. When she came out, he said, Will you give me a drink? Notice her response. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask of me, a Samaritan woman, to give you a drink? The first thing that Jesus did, he took a woman, this Samaritan woman, who was at odds with her world. And he led her to a truth. Evangelism is about taking people who are at odds and bringing them together. She was a woman at odds with God whom she thought she knew. But the first thing that we need to understand about evangelism is that no evangelism will happen if we don't care about that person. All people. Not just those with whom we are comfortable. This is a Samaritan woman whom the Jews hated. Jesus didn't do like the Jews did when he would travel. They would avoid the land of Samaria because they hated those people. But Jesus went right through the middle to encounter this woman, to teach us a lesson that if you don't care, then you're not a good evangelist. Number two. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice his point. He called her to something great. He called her to something better. Don't you know? that I have something even better than this? 
I have something better than the water that you are drawing right now. And if you would ask me, I'll give it to you. Certainly she needed the water from the well. She may have come there every day for her entire life just to have water to drink or to clean by. But he said, I have something even better. Every time we care about someone, a good evangelist then will call them to something better. We're not just saying, here's another good option. Here is one more thing. Maybe you might like to add this to your repertoire. No, this is calling to something better. Calling to the superlative. Number three, he challenged her. Oh yeah, I'd like to have that water, she said. Verse 13, if you drink this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink the water that I give to you, you'll never thirst again. It'll spring up inside of you as living water. He gave her a challenge. The challenge is, listen to what I'm saying. I've already told you, I've called you to something better. Now here's the challenge. See if it's not true. Just buy this product that I'm selling. Take what I am giving. And in doing so, see if I'm not telling you the truth. That it will spring up inside of you. It'll change you from the inside out. That's the call that he was giving to this challenge to be changed from the inside out. Number four. She said, yeah, I'll take it. I don't want to thirst again. We're going to talk about that tonight. But notice his response then. Go, call your husband and come here. I have no husband. You have rightly said that you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now, you're not married to. If you're going to be an evangelist, there comes a point in which we have to correct. Correct. This is not right. To be in this situation, this is not right, he said to her. Oh, but you don't want to say that because it might turn her off. Don't correct anything. Don't criticize. Don't, don't say something negative. We don't want to turn them away. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus wanted her to know that if you listen to the call, you already know that I care. If you listen to the call and take the challenge, then you're going to have to correct something because you really won't experience what I want to give you filling up inside of you if you don't correct something that keeps that from happening. Of course, she was amazed. She also needed to be corrected about her worship. When the Samaritan people, who were a hybrid Jewish people, 
there were Jews of the land, the poorest, who married the heathen nations who flowed into their land when Israel was taken off into Assyrian captivity. And from those unions came a hybrid group of Jewish people, partly Gentile, partly Jewish. They had lost the Jewish concept of worship. No longer were they going to Jerusalem. No longer were they going there for the offering of the sacrifices. Now he said, she said, oh, we've been doing this. Our fathers told us to worship in this mountain, but Jesus said, there comes a time when you're not going to worship in this mountain or anywhere. I'm going to tell you something. God's spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He corrected. He corrected her lifestyle and he corrected her worship because he cared about her. He was an evangelist. And finally, he was clear. He clarified everything. I am the Messiah you've been looking for. Religiously, every evangelist leads the person to Jesus. Like we said last week, not to the church, but to Jesus. Jesus led this woman who was at odds with her society. Let's notice another situation now concerning evangelism. Turn to Acts chapter 11. I want you to notice another situation. The first century church was at odds with itself. The Samaritan woman was at odds with her society. The first century church early on was at odds with itself. Starting in verse 19. Those who were scattered after the persecution, that comes from Acts 8, that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, notice, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. They were at odds. We're not going to preach to Gentiles. We're only going to preach to our people, our Jewish friends and family. We're not going to preach to those Gentiles. They were at odds with themselves over preaching to Gentiles, but they therefore were at odds with the Gentiles. Notice Antioch, the church there, was a leader in preaching to the Gentiles. This was a church that was comprised both of Jews and Gentiles. It was a fully integrated church with the society of the day When these people were at odds with each other, the church at Antioch stood up and said, we'll lead. 
we'll lead people to something better. We'll take the challenge. Number two, the first century church was at odds with accepting a particular individual to be a part of the Christian family. Verse 25, Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul tells about his conversion, he says, and immediately after having been converted, he tried, the text says, to join himself to those disciples. And they refused him in Jerusalem, Damascus. Nobody wanted him. But Barnabas, because of the man that he was, said, he deserves a chance. He didn't take him to Jerusalem. He took him to Antioch. Because Antioch had already demonstrated that they are leaders in working with people who are at odds. Number three, the early church was at odds with Peter. Because he went to the house of Cornelius and preached the gospel to him. As chapter 11 opens, the leaders in Jerusalem called Peter and said, Oh, you've got to explain this to us. Are you telling us that you're going to preach and teach to those Gentile people? Look at verse 3. You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You're terrible. Why'd you do that? When Barnabas found out about the gospel being spread to this integrated church up there at Antioch, he wanted to see it for himself. He went there to check it out, which is why when he was finding out how great it was, that's why he took Saul there first. Because Antioch led people to the water that Jesus offered. Evangelism is about leading people. We need more leaders for people who are at odds with each other. We just don't have enough leaders. Sometimes people in leading others think they can bully them. Listen to the words of 2 John verse 9. I wrote, or 3 John, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he did, prating against us with malicious words. 
And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. That's a brother in Christ. He wasn't an evangelist, he was a bully. And his view was, you're going to do it the way I tell you to, and if not, I'm going to put you out. How could anyone even consider that it is possible for evangelism to take place in the environment of bullying? As we spread the news of Jesus Christ, we better not bully people into submission. We better not kick them to the place we want them to go. We better not twist them and hurt them. For that is not evangelism. Some people think that evangelism is best done by deceiving them. Let me deceive them. Titus chapter 1. There are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. They subvert whole households, teaching things they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. When Paul sent Titus to Crete to fix things that were out of order, putting elders in those churches, one of the things he was telling them to do was you handle those people on Crete who are deceiving others, lying to them as though somehow that is evangelism. We better not be lying to people. We better make sure we're telling the truth. And if I don't know the truth, then how am I going to tell the truth? Again, we're talking in our class about thinking about the things that we're allowed to teach. And I better get busy with the idea of teaching those very things without lying, without deceiving, without fooling. But finally, some people think that evangelism is about shaming them into doing something. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, one of the main things he was addressing was division. One of the divisive things was a man living and living and worshiping and acting as a Christian man, apparently, while living in an ungodly relationship with his stepmother. Paul was beyond horrified. You got to stop this. You got to make sure the quick boasting about this, you got to fix it. 
They did. But they went too far. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 3. I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from those from whom I ought to have joy and have confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. If anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me. But all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment that was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. You see, they thought that they could not just correct the situation, but shame him publicly. And in shaming him publicly, getting fixed. And Paul said, wait a minute. You can create over sorrow, too much sorrow through shaming someone. As evangelists of the Lord, evangelism is not bullying. It's not deceiving. And it's not shaming it's leading them to Jesus. As we close, let's make a further application. As I said, evangelism is not just a religious word. It can be anything about which there is a good message that when you share it, you become an evangelist. And the time we need more evangelists for anything is at the time when there are great odds and people are at odds with each other. Brethren, I stand here now to tell you that I am tired. I am tired of the division of our country. I am tired of the division of Christian people. I'm tired. We're at odds. We're at odds because a disease is attacking us. We're at odds. But Christian people can't be at odds with each other when we're being attacked. If you have good news, to help with the attacks that we are receiving, then spread it. Be an evangelist for it. But brethren, it matters not to me which side of the divide you are on. Whether you are an evangelist to fight COVID this way or this way. We got to quit bullying each other. We have to stop deceiving each other. And we have to stop shaming each other 
just because we don't see it exactly alike. Now, people, we cannot be evangelists to a world that's lost when we who claim to be the saved are bullying, deceiving, and shaming each other. If you and I can't learn to state our opinions, to give our facts as best we see them, without creating more division, then I want to suggest that we quit talking. People are going to be drawn to the Lord when they see Christian people getting along when they are at odds. But they are going to be pushed away from the Lord when they see the fighting, the bickering, the shaming, the bullying. Do you want to be an evangelist for the Lord? Do you want to spread the good news? The only way to do it is by stating the good news. My job is to state the message. It's not my job to create a product. That's God's. And I don't want to be on a mission in these times that people are at odds to shove somebody from one side to the other. Speak the truth. Teach it in a true and loving fashion. But be an evangelist every day, all the time, because people are at odds with God And they need to be drawn to the Lord. Far be it that the Lord's people shove them further away by how we teach and handle things in times where we're at odds. I'm sure glad that God's been patient with me. Aren't you glad that he's been patient with you? Then why can't we be patient with each other as we share information to help? He's been patient with me and you to this point today. So that if I'm not a child of God, he's been patient with you to give you one more chance before you die. He's been patient with us. Give us one more chance to say, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to correct. I'm going to stop. And I'm going to do better. The purpose 
for our gathering is to worship God, the byproduct is that we become better because of it. And if today you want us as a church and these shepherds to pray with you, or if you're ready to obey Jesus, we're here for you. Let's stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.